What is up, wrestling fans? Welcome to another pay-per-view point edition of the Smart Guy Moment Smack Talk podcast. WrestleMania was uh, too big for one night, and the podcasts are too big for one podcast, so we are on part two of our WrestleMania 36 post-show. I am your host, as always, Tony Mango, and later on, Rob will be joining us, and by us, I mean I've got my other co-host here, Callum Wiggins. That that it be known at the end of the of the Smoke Out Moment Awards for 2020, that I was here when he would rather be somewhere else. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So, uh, director hate mail, Rob. <laughs> uh, what we are talking about here is, of course, the normal breakdown of the whole uh, WrestleMania card. What we got tonight on part two, we're going to talk the positives and the negatives. Believe it or not, I uh, have some different opinions about last night even that I kind of want to go back about and I want to kind of go all over the place here uh, in the positives and the negative spectrum. So I invite everybody to do the same in the comments section below, as always. If you are listening to us on the platforms that don't have comments sections like Spotify and iTunes and Stitcher and whatnot, then hop on over to YouTube and while you're there, subscribe if you haven't already. Hit that little notification bell and hit the like button on the video as well. That helps out quite a bit. And like I said, drop a comment. Tell us your thoughts. What's going on? What did you like? What did you dislike? What do you agree with? What do you disagree with about what we said? Any other things you want to chime in about? So when it comes to the way that WrestleMania 1, uh, WrestleMania 1, WrestleMania 36 Part 1 played out, the way that WrestleMania 2, I'm going to refer to it like that probably all night, aren't I? Uh, day two, how that played out. We talked about our overall thoughts last night. I want to ask you, because my opinions did change a little bit. Did your perception of day one change at all, either before or after the stuff aired tonight? Um, It didn't exactly change in terms of how much I enjoyed the first night. It just, I didn't enjoy the second night as much as I enjoyed the first, so... I guess it just, if anything, made the first night seem even better because I didn't feel like the second night lived up to what the bar that they set. Well, I I woke up today because I eventually fell asleep. Uh, I woke up feeling a little bit better about WrestleMania from last night. And I watched the WWE 24 Edge of the Second Mountain special. And... I cannot say enough. You guys have to see that. Anybody who hasn't seen that yet, you have to see that. That is probably my favorite thing that they've ever done on the network when it comes to these specials. So that put me in a much, much better mood. And I was actually going into this tonight thinking, you know what? It's probably going to be pretty good. Like there are some good things from last night that maybe I didn't give enough credit to. Like maybe, maybe I shouldn't have been as hard on the Undertaker match. I mean, I didn't say that I hated it or anything like that, but like maybe I should have given it a little bit more credit even. And, you know, even though this thing sucked and this is whatever, and even though I can kind of crap on this and whatever, maybe maybe I should just take the good with it or whatever. And we started off this WrestleMania section with a match that I didn't care about. Uh, the kickoff was Liv Morgan versus Natalia. And to be perfectly honest, I was like, well, I don't care about it. And it just was whatever it was. And it was fine. And I'm not feeling anything one way or another. Uh, Liv Morgan won by pinfall, and I'm like, oh, okay, she gets a win. It's it's okay. What were you thinking? 
Uh, well, first of all, I was reeling from what Corey Graves was wearing on the kickoff show. That kind of like threw me for the first uh, five minutes or so. That ridiculous tuxedo that he was wearing. Yeah, it was a little strange. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess he would call it unique, probably. But uh, I call it just dumb. Well, you know, when somebody in WWE says something's unique, you can't really necessarily trust that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, the Natalia Liv Morgan match was just kind of there. I, there was nothing really offensive about it. I don't think it was a bad match by any stretch of the imagination. It was just an, an exhibition that just uh, did a lot of smiling early on, just get, finally got into an actual match. And then, yeah, just just did all the things they had to do, got into a roll-up sequence in the end, which Liv Morgan got the better of and won the match. Just, It's just there. It was a Monday Night Raw match. Yep. And I guess if you are in the the realm of like being invested in uh, Liv Morgan, then this was a super happy, great, fun time kind of thing because it's like, yay, Liv Morgan won. I'm not a huge Liv Morgan fan. I kind of feel like she's got a ceiling that doesn't really last or doesn't really last. That doesn't work out. Uh, that isn't super, super high. Like I can't picture her in the future becoming some like big standout, you know, revolutionizing the women's division type of athlete or anything like that. And She's fine in some ways, like, you know, I'm cool with giving her a little bit of a push, but I wouldn't be in any capacity being like, we need to set aside time for WrestleMania to push Liv Morgan. To me, that's, it's kind of needless. So. Uh, I, I wouldn't agree with that. I think that she's got a higher ceiling. Well, I don't say she had a higher ceiling, but I think she's a better wrestler than Alexa Bliss, for instance. And Alexa Bliss's ceiling has, was, has always been reasonably high. I think that Liv Morgan has more potential than she does. Yeah, but Alexa's really solid on the mic and in character work, and I don't think Liv has that. Uh, Liv's mic work with the Lana stuff, even though the Lana angle and stuff was stupid, her mic work was fine, and she's better in the ring, so I think she would actually put on better matches. So I, th I think I would rather have Liv Morgan. If they were to push Liv Morgan off the back of this, then I'd probably be cool with it. I think that she's got like enough about her to actually be a decent success. The other note that I have from the pre-show was Corey Graves doing something I thought was funny. He was saying uh, they were referencing the whole um, love triangle type stuff going on and whatever. And he said, you should never, ever, under any circumstances, mix business with pleasure. <laughs> I thought that, that was great. Uh, I like when he takes these little, like, jabs uh, at Carmel. I think it's cute and funny. Yeah, the only other thing that really of note that happened on the pre-show was the Ziggler and Deville meeting up beforehand, obviously referencing the Corey Graves talking about the love triangle stuff. And Kayla just tries to catch them unawares with an interview to try and see what their response was. They just walk away pretty quickly, and she and Kayla just stands there like the vacant shell of a human woman, <laughs> yeah. which is essentially what the WWE interview team is at this point. In time. Yeah, we still didn't get any kind of clarification of what. Sonya gets out of this, which I thought was no. Funny. I have not. Yeah, I, that, is it just that she doesn't like fat guys? Is that kind of is that kind of it? I don't I, know. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really see what's what what the benefit was that she just didn't want Otis to be dating Mandy. That was the whole thing. That like the idea that Ziggler would eventually like dump Mandy, and so Sonya would be there as like a shoulder to cry on, not so much like in a romantic sense, but just be there so it builds their friendship up even stronger. And she was worried that Otis was going to take Mandy away from her. Like, that's the story that I'm that's the story that I'm filling in because they're not telling me it. But you know, yeah, I mean, they really kind of 
I don't know if they did this on purpose or if they just neglected it. Because right now, like, I mean, I, it's just been a perpetual thing where I don't know exactly what the creative team is doing, what they are doing purposely or what they happen to stumble into, what things are leading somewhere. And then somebody like Vince McMahon says, no, we're just going to a different direction. And that's why it doesn't make any sense. Like, it's hard to tell. And you can never fully crap on anything because you never really know exactly who to blame. And you can never really praise anything because you're like, well, did they fall ass backwards into it and stuff? So for something like this, it's like, I wonder, and I wish we could know, and we're never going to know most likely, if they were like, so what does Sonya get out of this? And somebody said, I don't know, let's just not say it. Hmm. Or if they were saying, well, we'll get around to it. And that they, they plan on doing something with the future. And for some reason, they... I don't know why, would have the philosophy of we just won't say anything and that storytelling is, you know. There's something I want to clarify about uh, storytelling that I think that some people don't know is not doing something isn't a mystery. (laughs) Like, just not knowing information is not the same as being like, ooh, I'm intrigued. That's like, not to go on a Star Wars tangent, but it's like, you know, you look at The Force Awakens and they're like, who's this person's parents? I don't know. And then you're like, okay, well, where are you going with this? And then the answer is, I don't know. And then you're like, okay, that's not, you know, if I tell you a joke and it's got no punchline, it's not a joke. If I tell you a story where it's got no foundation to it, it's not a story. And that kind of stuff bugs me. So it's, you never know if they're like, they had something in mind and they couldn't do it. So now they're just kind of hoping people don't notice. Or that they couldn't think of anything and they're hoping that people don't notice or something. But I was hoping... I just find it quite... Go ahead. I was going to say, I find it quite funny with the idea that... Because they repeated the, that shitty intro again for WrestleMania, so they wasted 10 minutes into that. But in, in it, the guy who's pretending to be Jack Sparrow talks about the fact that you can't start at the end. It's storytelling 101. And yet they don't know anything about storytelling, it feels like anyway. So the fact, the brass balls of them to say like, oh, this is storytelling 101. It's like, did you take Storytelling 101? Because it doesn't seem like <laughs> <Yeah>. you did. <laughs> they see they were going to take Storytelling 101, but they started at the end. <laughs> yeah. So all the lesson that they got was, they don't just start at the end of this. And they were like, okay, don't start at end. What else notes do we have on here? Anything about like uh, properly building up things and paying things off and whatever? And nah, nah, we're not going to do all that. You know. Um. So... With the uh, the kickoff, that's that's the way that it was. Um, yeah, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not the best thing in the world. It's just whatever. And we moved on to the first match, which was the NXT Women's Championship match, Rhea Ripley against Charlotte Flair. And I had a lot of good things to say about this, and I kept saying a lot of good things about, you know, even though I'm not a big fan of, like, the blue and gold and white color scheme, I was liking Rhea Ripley's gear. And she had a weak riptide. I didn't like that. I remember joking that Charlotte's bleeding and she inherited that from Ric Flair. Um, it was here where I was really thinking, man, it'd be a shame that uh, it's a shame that Ramar Ronaldo wasn't on commentary, but I'm digging the match. I like that. It's kind of evenly paced and all this. And then Flair wins. And outside of some little comments here and there of like Flair should stop doing the spear and whatever like that. Immediately my thoughts went, God damn it. Now I'm in a bad mood. Because I don't understand at all why the hell you would book Rhea Ripley to lose this. She 
called the shot. She's the one, like, she's the baby faced. And she went up to Charlotte and said, we have nothing going on together right now. I want you to fight me at WrestleMania for my championship. And Charlotte's like, I don't know, maybe. And Rhea's like, come on, come on. And Charlotte eventually does. And Rhea Ripley Ripley loses. So she's now a transitional champion because she defended her title once. Right? Uh, Yeah, she defended it against... No, she defended it against uh, Belair and Tony Storm. Oh, yeah, World Collide. I totally forgot. Well, that's... Mm. Nobody nobody watched that, to be honest, and all that. So that doesn't even really barely even count. So she defended it at a pay-per-view that is lower on the totem pole than NXT is, and then at one NXT show. And she did this after having this monumental... Survivor Series weekend where she was the top dog for war games and she won the Survivor Series uh, match for that team and she beats ba- Shayna Baszler who ends up you know going to not accomplish anything at WrestleMania anyway like what is up with this all that happened here was Charlotte got another accolade that she doesn't need and Rhea Ripley proved that she is not on the same level and that she shouldn't have been sitting at the adult stable. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the fundamental close to this. Probably if I start with the finish, it's, yeah, it's not the way that I would go about doing it because you shouldn't have somebody who you're trying to build up as the next big sensation lose the title to somebody who's as established as established gets unless you have plans somewhere down the road to have the rematch and Ripley wins again. But even by that point, you could have called her off significantly, especially if there's no wrestling going on in the meantime. But I think if anything needs to be hammered home again, as if we haven't reiterated this point enough, you never, ever, ever bet against Charlotte Flair in a match. (laughs) A big match. If it's Charlotte Flair's involved, you just initially have to default to Charlotte winning. Because it's just a shock. You can just be shocked that it doesn't happen. But you look stupid if you don't bet with Charlotte Flair because you somehow thought that something else was going to happen other than the inevitable. But in terms of the actual match, I thought this was an excellent match. I thought it was really, really well paced. Uh, Charlotte going after the leg was really convincing. I thought that these two benefited from the lack of crowd and showed a lot more intensity than the Becky uh, Becky Lynch uh, Shayna Baszler match which I was surprised about but they put on some really good action like Charlotte was teasing the figure eight for a really long time and Ripley kept fighting out until eventually Charlotte gets it in and then I knew as Charlotte as soon as Charlotte got it in for the first time I thought yeah this is the finish I didn't think that Ripley was gonna reach for the ropes or anything I thought yeah she's gonna tap out and she she duly did it wasn't perfect. Like the spear was ugly in this match that Charlotte hit, and uh, there was a few other bits and pieces. The Riptide, like you say, didn't look that great. A bit of like inconsistent selling of the leg every now and again from Rhea Ripley, but I thought this was by far and away the best women's match of the entire weekend. Yeah, I mean, I definitely am not arguing against that. It's and I would like yeah, outside I would start... of the little weak moments here and there, like the you know crappy spear and the crappy Riptide and whatever. It like fundamentally from start to finish was a pretty damn good match that happened to have a finish that made me go fuck it you know yeah yeah i can understand that i would i would say that this was one of the 
best matches that happened in in the actual ring area because uh, obviously certain matches didn't but I, I feel like actually like, gun to my head I'd probably put this as the best match for me for night two and we'll talk about the other ones as we go forward because a lot of people will probably be surprised I'm saying that for this one but there's a lot of the matches which other people I know really liked that I'm not going to be as fond of but I thought this was really, really a really good start. And I thought, okay, if the rest of the night continues like as strong as this match has been and they've saved all the even greater matches for night two, then we're in for a hell of a show. Yeah, I mean, I wow, voice cracking there. Uh, if this would have happened exactly the way that it went down and Rhea would have won, then I probably would have said that this was, I mean, it's either, either my number one or my number two favorite match of the night. Uh because I did like something else that we're going to talk about later that you didn't like as much. But um, it's just that ending, just like it. I mean, I'll go back to my like food analogies. I tend to talk food related stuff for some reason all the time on here. You can cook me a fancy dinner, make everything look and smell great. And when you serve it to me, if you spit in it, I'm not going to be a happy camper. At the end of the day, I wanted to eat it and I wanted you know the thing that's almost more most important for matches to me is the ending because it doesn't matter to me how great a royal rumble is for instance if we go an hour throughout the whole thing and the royal rumble ends with somebody winning that i didn't want them to win and i think it doesn't make sense and i think it's a mistake and all that the royal rumble is like god damn it now i'm pissed off at the road to wrestlemania or if somebody had an iron man match and it was just like the coolest Iron Man match in the world. And at the end, somebody else ran in and won. And it was like this lame person who shouldn't win a title or something like, you know, it doesn't matter what comes before that as much as it does what the ending is as far as the lasting impression for me. So Ripley having, you know, a weak Riptide, it's more of a nitpick. Flair having a spear that's not all that great yeah it's another nitpick and it's easier to forgive that if the ending is okay but i just cannot understand their philosophy behind this because i'm looking at this in all these different spectrums and i'm thinking i can't see any positives like does this make ripley look stronger definitively no there's nobody that can argue to me her losing to charlotte makes her look stronger than if she would have beaten Charlotte. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't make that argument either, right? No, of course not. Yeah. Does she look strong in her loss? Yeah. But that's not the game plan here. If that's the case, then wins and losses don't matter. It only matters what you do when it comes to leading up to the finish, and then why bother having a finish? Yeah, you can get around that with certain things, but this was not one of those matches, I think. That's more of, you know, the the underdog is working their way towards a title shot, and they didn't get the number one contenders thing, but we're going to tell this story over the next couple pay-per-views that they're going to earn their number one contender spot or something like that. You know, like... Kofi Kingston going into WrestleMania last year was like, well, he didn't win the Elimination Chamber, but that's because they're setting up that he's going to do this gauntlet thing and like, you know, different things like that. Okay. And the end result of that is 
the thing that works out well. It's Kofi beats Daniel Bryan and all things work well in the world at WrestleMania. The way that things should end. It's the show of shows. It's the, the grandest stage of them all. The way that things should culminate and all that. Ripley going up to Flair and being like, fight me. I'll beat you. And Flair's like, ugh, I guess. And beats her. All right, well, then Ripley's shit. I mean, she's not like, you know, oh, she's buried forever or anything like that. Don't take it that direction. But it's like, you just told me Rhea Ripley is not on Charlotte Flair's level. She's, uh, she's NXT and Charlotte Flair is above NXT. Great. Now I, I look down on the NXT women's division more so than I did before. And I look down on Rhea Ripley because you just halted her momentum. For what? If the idea in mind is, well, you know, this will fire her up and she'll beat her again down the line. You can't build things like that. If that's the case, it should have been Rhea Ripley challenging Flair and trying to win the championship and not winning in the championship. Not losing the championship on a match that she wanted. You know? Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're totally right. I just think that maybe the whole thing, this isn't about Rhea Ripley. This is about Charlotte. And that's so annoying because it's like, my God, how much overkill do you need to do with certain people? WWE really has this stuck in this mentality kind of thing going on where if they are focused on something, they will turn a blind eye to every single thing other than that. You know, if they want Brock to be the the guy, he will beat everybody in every scenario and utterly destroy them because that is the only thing that matters. If Roman is the guy, he will beat everybody and everything, and it doesn't matter if you're booing, that is what matters. If you want Charlotte to be the number one top woman of all time, she wins absolutely everything, every time, and it doesn't matter who she uh, throws in the dirt along the way. Like, come on, it's not that black and white. Flair was a future Hall of Famer, first ballot type of person three years ago. You know, like who at this point in WWE is sitting there going, I think Charlotte needs another main thing, you know? I I think it's not about trying to establish Charlotte as like a more celebrated and major competitor. I think it's just about, okay, well, we want to go in this direction with NXT. So let's push, like have it as, a fu- fundamentally like a top star as our champion and i think it's the idea that I, based on what i've seen from nxt and especially the last like few years or so triple h likes long-term heel champions like Rhea ripley was the baby face the story for the baby face was that she got her victory over Shayna baszler and then that's kind of the end of the story for the baby face they muddle around they win a, they win a few matches get a few title defenses and then they transition over to the heel champion that's going to hold it for the next six months or so that champion is going to be Charlotte Flair. Now I'm at a point, even with the NXT side of things, I'm like, all right, so Charlotte just beats everybody for a while. And she just proves that she's better than everybody and nobody gets a chance to do anything. Like this, yeah, and then someone beats her. I, they build someone up to beat her. You know, to be honest, I don't even think that that might not even necessarily happen. Well, Charlotte will just hold the NXT championship forever. No, I think she could. I very easily could see them having a situation where she, like comes up to you know, quote unquote comes up to the main roster where she ends up being like I uh I have to relinquish my title because I just won the SmackDown women's title or something like that. Cause like look at what they did with Asuka. They did the whole thing with 
you know, let's build up Ember Moon. Well, you know what? Let's not have her beat Asuka. Let's have Asuka go up and whatever. And let's try to build up the Street Profits to beat the Viking Raiders. But they'll relinquish the titles and the Street Profits will win it from somebody else later on. Like, they they do kind of tend to do that, too, where it's like, let's build somebody up so somebody can beat them, but then not have that person beat them and they could just win it from its vacant spot. So it's not even a guarantee that somebody beats Flair and they get like this giant... Oh my god, I beat Charlotte Flair for the NXT women's title kind of thing. Like she could just beat everybody for the next like year or two and make them all they're not gonna look bad. Cause it's not like losing to Flair makes you look bad. Like Rhea Ripley is not shot. She's not done. It's not like her career's over. It's just a matter of why the hell did you book it to begin with? Why did like whose mentality going into the Royal Rumble was we should have Charlotte win the Royal Rumble, bypass the Shayna Baszler thing. And that way, Shayna can lose at WrestleMania, and Rhea Ripley can challenge Charlotte Flair and lose at WrestleMania. Okay, good. So the two top people in NXT in the women's division are not as good as the two top women that you really like on Raw and SmackDown. We get it. It's disheartening. And it's the type of thing that... Now I'm not interested in the uh, upcoming ladder match to determine the number one contender, because none of them are going to beat Charlotte. So, who cares? Well, I don't think any of them were going to beat Ripley either, so like, there's there's no real... There, were, there wasn't any intrigue for me in that ladder match anyway. It was just to name a number one contender that would lose to whoever, to whoever the champion would be. I had more intrigue about the Ripley thing because I thought there's more of a chance that Ripley would drop the title than Flair. Like, that there was a possibility that Ripley would want to come up to the main roster. They'd want to do something like that. And then it would be like, okay, well, we'll take the title off of her and she'll be up at like SummerSlam. Uh, I mean, I would, I would have gone with the mindset of, okay, so you just had Rhea Ripley beat Charlotte Flair on the grandest stage of the world. And then you, she just loses it to the next challenger that just won it in the random ladder match without any real build. At this point, so, who do you think is going to end up winning that? Uh, Rhea Ripley wouldn't it back. So you think she'll be the one that beats Flair? They'll just, do it again and it'll be like but yep. she wanted a takeover whatever isn't this great and it's like no she should have just won at Wrestlemania it won't, it won't be for it won't be for a while but yeah she'll win it back from Charlotte Flair another thing that I kind of feel is like not a justification for this is if their thought process was if we put Charlotte on NXT that'll boost the ratings I don't think that it really boosted the ratings all that much and that's one person and you can't film NXT <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> so why why do it at a time frame where the NXT stuff is going to be probably clip shows for a month or two or five? I think I think they're just like living on some sort of hope at the moment. Like, they've got no they've got no reason to like firmly believe that Charlotte Fleur will win it. But I think they just get they're just on desperate at this point to try and beat AEW. So they're just trying anything and seeing what works. Well, we now have Rob on the line. Rob, uh, to give you a little bit of a. Uh... Breakdown of what we've talked about so far. Liv Morgan and Natty, meh, it was a match. Charlotte and Rhea, we both agreed for the most part. Pretty damn good match. And then the fuck's up with that ending? And I've gone on for like, I don't know, half an hour or whatever about how much this pisses me off. <laughs> uh, I will agree with you on the Natty and Liv being a match. It was. And I really enjoyed Charlotte and Rhea. I thought it was the best standard match of this environment. And I told you Charlotte was winning, so yeah. 
are you in the same boat as what the what I've been complaining about where it's there's no possible reason to justify why this is happening other than just playing favorites with Charlotte and saying screw it we're going to push uh, Rhea Ripley down because we're WWE and whenever somebody gets hot, we're going to not push them. <laughs> no, I agree with what Callum probably said, which is a, you don't, you don't bet against the queen and B they want that Charlotte push for the Wednesday night war against the next, against AEW. So that was the last point that Callum had brought up the idea that they think most likely that Charlotte is going to win the war against AEW, which I would say that's not necessarily going to happen, especially oh, if fundamentally what happened. Yeah, especially if yeah. AEW has recorded a tournament that people are interested in to check out a new championship going into well into May, according to some things of like, hey, we probably have enough to lead all the way up into our pay-per-view. We actually plan things out ahead of time and we are doing fun things. And WWE's like, Charlotte Flair's great. Charlotte, that's <laughs> it. That's it. Just don't want to plan. Okay, well, how are you going to film the things with Charlotte? Oh. <laughs> well, I think that's their fundamental reasoning. As well as maybe it's, we'll have Charlotte win it here, and then when there's fans, we'll give Rhea Ripley the moment of beating Charlotte. Because once they took away the fan element, I had no doubt that Charlotte was winning. Because it's a bigger moment, as opposed to, okay, Charlotte lost in a WrestleMania that wasn't WrestleMania. Moving on. So, question to you guys as far as uh, disappointment things go or whatever. Um, we got Charlotte beating Asuka for no real reason other than Charlotte gets another accolade and ends Asuka's streak and doesn't let her win the championship and all that. Now we got her beating Rhea Ripley for the championship that she shouldn't even really necessarily be defending and all that. Uh, who next year or the year after that does Charlotte take priority over that could use the win? Let's, let's look into our uh, crystal balls. <laughs> Ronda Rousey, just because everybody falls to the queen eventually. Uh, well, it's got to be somebody who could use it. Ronda was already the top thing. Like, you know, it's Who's an up-and-comer that she could take the title from or somebody who could challenge her and have all the momentum in the world and she could take it away? <laughs> you know? I mean, maybe they'll have built Shayna Baszler back up enough to have her lose, or they had, uh, <laughs> or they had uh, Bianca uh, debut later on yep. in the, uh, the, the on the main roster side of things. So maybe by that point in time, she can have her legs cut under by Charlotte Flair as well. Right. Not only will she uh, beat Bianca, but she'll cut the brain off, <laughs> just, I, just ruin all the fun. I had two uh, in my mind. One of them was Bianca, of the idea that Bianca may win. I don't know, Raw Women's Championship later on this year or something, and Flair wins the Royal Rumble and beats her, wins the Raw Women's Championship at WrestleMania, or that uh, we end up getting something where, like, Becky is still the champion, and they go, all right, well, we did this whole thing, a two-year-long title reign, so that Charlotte could beat it from uh, beat Becky and do that. Yeah, I believe that. It's not the same kind of thing, because it's like, at that point, if... Becky is a two-year-long champion, then is she not the type of person who's like, oh, she doesn't need it, whatever, like that kind of thing. But at the same time, it would be like, okay, so you came around to the idea of ultimately we're going to come full circle and the one that we want to win is going to be the one that's going to win and screw you. We'll get we'll get what we want anyway, that kind of thing. And I, for the record, I like Charlotte Flair. Like, it sounds like I'm like, oh, Charlotte should win anything. And I completely disagree with that idea. I just don't 
like this idea that every time that there's a chance that Charlotte is up against something that she could get another little accolade or somebody else could make a big step in their career, it kind of tends to be, well, Charlotte getting a slight uptick when, you know, pouring water in an overflowing glass means more than somebody making a giant leap for what? So that annoyed me. And to be perfectly honest, that set me in a bad mood for the rest of the night and kind of killed the whole idea of me being like, oh, I'm going to be super positive on this thing. So I hate that I'm being negative about this. I apologize for the people who think that I'm always negative for that reason. But did I not say earlier before WrestleMania started that I was in a better mood? <laughs> you know, you did say that. I, I'm i just not connecting with you here because I thought it was a really good match. I think it was the right decision in this case because they kept really stressing between the kickoff, even in some uh, written interviews, it's okay if Rhea loses. Like, they really set this up like, hey, Rhea's got nothing to lose. She can only elevate her career. If Charlotte loses to Rhea, oh boy, that's going to be such a hit for the queen. So they really set you up for that. Mm, not a fan. And it didn't help at all that their idea of, well, disappointing way to start off the night here we're, here's where we're going to follow it up with Alistair Black versus Bobby Lashley. <laughs> Cause I could not have given the slightest shit about this feud going into this because there was no feud. There was no storyline. There was no reason for these two to fight other than just have an exhibition that didn't matter. Nothing's on the line. Alistair Black won as expected. Nothing was interesting in this at all. I don't even think that the Lana thing was interesting. I went back and I checked that out because I actually didn't see it when it happened. I tuned out Lana screeching enough that I didn't know that that had happened. And I had sent a group chat of did like, did anything happen here? Like what the hell? So when you guys had told me, then I was like, all right, I gotta go back and hit the rewind button. Thankfully the rewind button worked for me today. Uh, and I was just like, Oh, that was it. Okay. Well, if they're ending that story, then that just proves that this story was awful. And if they're not ending the story, my God, how are you still not ending this story? And if this is how the story ends, after all the things that they did, they're bad storytellers, definitively. And Aleister Black gets really nothing out of this, and Bobby Lashley doesn't really get anything out of it. And I thought that this was completely pointless, and I really would have rather it not even been on the card. I thought this was completely unoffensive. Like, it, it was good. It was, you know, it was fine. It was a match to boost Aleister Black. You planted the seeds of a dissension between her and Lana or Lashley and Lana and I thought it was fine. Uh, knowing what I knew by the end of it that this show was going 25 minutes over the three hour mark I'd be totally fine with this match not being on it. For what it was, it was just a fine raw match. Like, it was okay, there was nothing wrong with it it was just two guys putting on an okay match that certainly wasn't bad. At least they've started to fuel the Lana Lashley breakup so we can move past that thing and I think the finish was pretty good with the catching uh, Lashley coming in with a spear with the black mask kick that was a good way of finishing it off but yeah it definitely wasn't WrestleMania or whatever yeah the um, the analogy I keep using of well this was a Monday Night Raw match kind of a thing this was another Monday Night Raw match for me if this was on the pre-show of like Backlash then I would be like all right well, 
still should have had a feud. Like you still should have put, I don't know, a minute and a half's worth of work into uh, building up something for it. Because yeah, WWE, you're not doing this the type of thing where it's like, um, well, we don't tell stories here. It's just a match and match. It's you know, baseball is kind of whoever wins goes to have another game with another person. World Series is just sort of well. They won game one. Let's see what happens in game two. You don't have to write stories for that. This is storytelling. If you don't write the stories for storytelling, then why are you getting paid to write stories? You know. But they did tell the story. They told a, a simple story of Lashley separating from Lana or starting the separation from Lana. It was just told in such a rushed way because that's the world we're living in. Oh, I mean the story for building it. Yeah, there was no but... story. So. The story was, we announced this, and Lana's going to give him one bit of bad advice, and then we'll see what happens on our shows that we can't film, kind of thing. So I just, I didn't like it. Uh, that, of course, didn't help my mood at the time, but thankfully we got a, an uptick on this. We got Otis versus Dolph Ziggler, and we were trying to decipher ahead of time, what does Sonya Deville get out of this? And uh, I don't really know exactly what that is. I don't think that they know. I don't think that they're ever going to really explain it. I think that they kind of hope that we just go, who cares? And then move on. Cause that's easier than doing your job. And I'm also wondering what does uh, Mustafa Ali get out of this? Cause he's, I mean, they're going with him as the guy who showed the footage, right? Like, I mean, he's got the lights and he's a cop. So it's like, is it just like justice? I think, I think he's just his character now. He's like a, just a, going to be it kind of like a good hacker so somebody that hacks stuff but is using it to make sure that the truth comes out from people right like it's like if gtv had a face and was a good guy yeah so i don't think he gets anything out of this per se but he enjoys making it sure that people get what's coming to them he's he's gonna become a, a member of anonymous <laughs> it's gonna be mm-hmm. his, his stable <laughs> he's gonna come out with a guy fox mask instead of the Sub-Zero looking thing. Oh, he's the guy kidnapping all the people in the next day. Yeah, I mean, I mean, since uh, since the Raul Mendoza thing, we've gotten Joaquin Wild. Mm. Is uh, he he got kidnapped? So are they just uh, are they just I know that's like off topic, but like are they just mocking the Dark Order by doing this? It kind of seems like it, doesn't it? Those guys in lucha masks stealing random like jobbers from NXT. It's a, it's a demented Kalisto who's determined to do a good lucha thing. What if the, the group is not the Dark Order? It's something like, uh, I don't know, like... The Light Brigade. Yeah, like something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be Ali's group, because he's always chasing the light. Where they're like, well, we can't go the Dark Order. Let's go with the Black Order instead. <laughs> or like... The, or- the Order of say. Darkness. <laughs> Morbid curiosity with that one because I I do want to know where the that's going because they're abducting the most random people. I want to know who gets abducted next, and I hope it's Oni Lorcan. <laughs> Just have him like uh, everybody's like you know this mindless conquistador you know just say it's this person's number eight number nine like they did with the Dark Order and whatever and you know that it's Joaquin Wild just because he's 
you know, other than the mask, you can tell or whatever. But then Oni Lorcan is still just Oni Lorcan in a mask, holding his finger up and tweeting in all caps and all that. It'd be great. But whatever's happening with Mustafa Ali, whatever ha- is happening with Sonya Deville, what we got here was Otis versus Dolph Ziggler, and we got pretty much exactly what I was hoping that we would get. And we didn't get the, the Deville explanation and all that, but we got everything else on the checklist. We got Otis and Ziggler having a pretty decent match, and Mandy coming out, slapping Sonya, giving Dolph Ziggler a low blow, which I thought was a really good touch because it's kind of like, well, this is all about, you know, sleeping around and different things. So Ziggler's like this man whore that is only interested in uh, getting in bed with Mandy. So he gets a shot to the crotch and that's fitting. Otis gets the win. Otis gets the girl. Otis gets a kiss. Otis gets a kiss. And furthermore, there was a digital interview where he was like, yeah, I got my peach. And she's like, yeah, you know, my actions speak louder than my words. And I think it's time to go get some steaks. And it was just like, what a nice ending for Otis. This was great. 10 out of 10. Yeah, it's it's nice to have a, a happy ending to a feud on WrestleMania. I was saying, like, in the Mega Maniacs, it's not quite like Brandy and Miss Elizabeth, but... <laughs> It's it it's like it's something at the very least. It feels it feels more meaningful than uh the scene of Nikki Bella stuff in hindsight at the very least. And uh, yeah yeah, this is something that kind of it would have been so much better with a crowd, and everything would have been better with a crowd. But mm-hmm. this in particular, the pop that it would have got to have that kiss spot and like the crowd going wild, that would have been so much better. Yeah, I mean that goes with everything. Every single thing that happened would have been better with the crowd. There's not a single thing I think throughout this whole, even the, um, you know, the Boneyard stuff and whatever like that. Like if they would have filmed that same stuff, I still think it would have been more interesting to hear at least some kind of like, oh, wow, like kind of crowd reactions. But at the very least, the things like this, it would have gotten a big pop. People would have been happy. Like when there would have been the moments where, you know, the heels come and they start beating down on the baby faces. You would have heard like, let's go Otis. And it would have been like, yeah, he's getting all fired up. And the worm at the end, it would have gotten a laugh. Like, that would have been great. So it's a shame that that's not the case. And, and the funny thing about all of this is that I think the person that stands to benefit the most out of this whole angle is Sonya Deville. From being because, separate and... Yeah, being a single star now. And because I think that she's probably the person who's best positioned to potentially... Like get get a good spot on SmackDown, win the title down the road somewhere, because Mandy, for the, at least for the time being, and you'd assume for like a few months at the very least, is tied to Heavy Machinery as their like I don't want to say like strictly as the manager, but will be like tied to them in some regards. So this gives Sonya a time, chance to spread her wings on her own and eventually, hopefully, win the title at some point. She was my pick for one to watch. That just proves that I know what I'm doing. Oh, not yet. Who knows? <laughs> they could watch anyone thing, at this right. They could do <laughs> yeah, the thing true. that they uh, they do on a regular basis, where they split the team up, and one of them they have no plans for at all. And I'd actually bank more on uh, Mandy going far. And to jump ahead a little bit to the SmackDown Women's Title thing, I could totally see Mandy being the one that beats Bailey at this point. So. And maybe if that happens, maybe Sonya beats Mandy. So it could happen. I like Sonya. I think that she is not giving, uh, not given her credit. 
I would have liked to have seen her be like. I think she would like. I think the the future for Sonya is in her being a babyface, but also somebody who can be taken very seriously as an MMA fighter and stuff. So, a uh, small detail that I liked when Mandy slapped her and beat her up a little bit, she didn't fight back because she still wants to be, you know, she wants to be Mandy's friend. She wants Mandy to like her. She doesn't want to be fighting Mandy. I didn't catch that. So, if they did that on purpose, that's cool. Like that. I, I think that'll be changing pretty soon. Well, yeah, whenever, I, whenever they can actually do the feud or something. I can dream. I know if we get a match on SmackDown, if we get a SmackDown, it's going to be a mixed tag, but I can dream, guys. Uh, hell of an outfit for Mandy. Hell of an outfit. That went on my list of uh, potential best ring I mean, attire that was for the year. I mean, that was definitely a, an upgrade on the Randy Savage Miss Elizabeth stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, we got one set of friends fighting each other and one of them not fighting back because she still wants to be friends. But that's not the same when it comes to Randy Orton and Edge because Randy Orton's like, I love you. I don't want you to do this and stuff, but I'll beat the shit out of you and make you a cripple kind of thing. Like, yeah, it's kind of strange, but that's what happened. Uh, the last man standing match went down with uh, Edge and Randy Orton. It went longer than, well, you know, let's try to put it this way then. Uh, a lot of people feel very differently about this match. I have seen reactions that are, this is amazing, and I've seen a lot, actually, of this match went on way too long. I think that it was, somebody had said like it was like 36 minutes? Yeah, yeah, 36 was the final count I got. Yet I know that a lot of people were saying this was, it felt like it was reaching the hour mark, and I, I think that both of you guys at, at different points had said that you thought that it was going on a little bit too long, right? Yeah, Callum felt stronger in this than I did, so I will let him say his piece first. You don't want to hear what I have to say first. Okay, then I will go first, because my, my take on it was it did get a little long, but for what they did, I enjoyed the brawling, I enjoyed... The spots, Edge was feeling very adventurous. And if I could, I would have cut about 10 minutes off the middle. And But I liked it. I sat down, I ate some food, I watched it. Edge is my favorite, so I have, I can't be too negative. Callum, go ahead and tell him that it was the length of a movie. It, it was the length of a movie, but fundamentally, I, let's, I'll, I'll say this, I enjoyed the first... 10 minutes i thought they were making use of the environment that was pretty cool and then it suddenly dawned on me that they're just hitting each other in the back a few times and moving from one place to another and then by the time it had gotten 20 minutes in i was now in this well, especially, well 20 minutes in and then from like the 20 minutes to the 30 minute mark i was kind of going yeah this match is bad like it's not even it's not even like okay, this is just going on too long. No, this is just a bad match. Like it's just two guys, like punching each other from one area to another. Occasionally, they do a weapon spot. Occasionally, Edge does something stupid, like falling onto a desk back first. <laughs> like, like he must have a lot of faith that his neck is fully recovered at this point <laughs> in time because some of the stuff that he was doing was ridiculous. I was like, are people 
probably look at it and say, oh, look at the, the there's not only these two guys with the psychology they have can really pull off the side. There's no psychology in this match whatsoever until the final two minutes. The rest of it is just two guys, two indie guys fighting each other. It's like, I said, yeah, it, it was essentially like people look at like AEW matches or like just hardcore brawls in general. It's like, this was no different. This is just two guys going from one high spot to another, essentially, or just like filling the gaps in between with some punches in a corridor or something. I've, and the most egregious thing about this match was the commentary. Oh yeah, okay, I can agree. So with I, I'm gonna cut in there on that uh, because this is my favorite part of the night. I I agree, it's not the best match when it comes to a lot of fundamentals. It's not amazing in some ways. Uh, other people potentially could have done some crazier things, whatever like that. But I went through this whole thing not thinking that it was, I mean, I thought it was going on a little bit too long, and I kind of agree. You can trim out a couple minutes in the middle there, and it might be better and whatever, but I had a smile on my face the whole time because I was like, Edge is back. And like, I just, the bias that influences me negatively can sometimes also influence me positively. And watching that 24 special really put me in a better mood today before the Rear Ripley stuff happened. And I was like, man, Edge coming back is so great that they're going to have to do something that really is annoying or something for me to not like this. And I walked out of it, Well, I didn't walk anywhere. I've been sitting in my chair for like fucking months, but, uh, you know, I came out of this thinking, thank God we can get this kind of match. And it's so cool that like, I mean, there's some little things here and there and stuff that are good that I could talk about too. Like starting off with the RKO out of nowhere. I liked that. I liked that they uh, they had Orton say, you don't need to count. I'll tell you when to count. And then I thought it was funny that he couldn't tell the referee to count afterward because he was still kind of like, ah, my back, like that kind of thing. I thought it was like funny, for instance, that they had to turn on the lights after they went to the gym thing because that wasn't already put on like before they went in there. I liked the cameraman bump. Like there's moments here and there. I Edge jumped off of a whatever he jumped off of an elbow dropped Randy Orton through two tables. I never thought I'd be able to see that again. So I had a big smile on my face. However, that where I had jumped in there, you bring up the commentary. Mm-hmm. I cannot defend the commentary. Like I, I on the whole, when I've seen them before, like Tom, Todd Phillips, Tom Phillips and, um, Byron Saxton are two guys. I feel like, do decent job most of the time on commentary, but they were like they were talking in such hushed tones. Like I was, I was sitting there and watching this. Like this match would be elevated a million times over if this was Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler doing commentary back mm-hmm. in the Attitude Era. Like they would be making a big deal about every single spot, like saying how this is Edge's like revenge after being told like him coming back after so many years and almost having his career taken away as soon as it came back by Randy Orton and Randy Orton showing his viciousness and his willingness to try and just destroy Edge, like the toll their bodies were going through. It was just two guys going, oh, Edge is just um, moving on to um, this this area. Like he gets punched down a little bit there. Like they were just so, I think they were taking like a really trying to do a somber tone to try and make this feel like the gravity and the importance of this match. But it just felt so tepid yeah frightful's twitter said it best they were like they sound like they're calling a a golf tournament and i don't know (laughs) why 
And I was like, yeah, that's what it is. It's true because, like you said, Jim Ross, he'd be like, oh, my God, like, oh, God, Hellfire and Brimstone. Like, well, he wouldn't do that because Kane's not in it. But, like, uh, you know, he'd be, he'd be selling everything. It's just kind of like Edge does this and it's, oh, God, this is a tough thing. And the grit that Edge has and whatever. And Jerry Lawler, if he was on the opposite side and if he was prime Jerry Lawler, you know, he'll be talking about how Randy Orton's like, you see, he's showing Edge that he shouldn't have came back and all this and if we had Monsoon and Heenan, they would be making this so great. If we had Maharanalo by himself, he would have been like, you know, having an aneurysm of everything. And he'd just be like, Mama Mia, Christ Almighty, this is Jesus Christ. And instead, they're doing the thing that everybody kind of hates of the, man, this is, oh, we don't even want to talk here because it's just, uh, damn. You don't want to. You don't want to talk when this stuff's happening. It's like you're mm. commentators. You're supposed to commentate. Come on, like I don't watch a YouTube video and hope that somebody's got a monotone voice. I hope that I don't have a monotone voice on these podcasts. Like I don't want anybody clicking on Smack Talk and having me be like, "I'm gonna read my notes." Thumbs up for the cameraman bump. I can see that some people think that this is going on too long. I'm still enjoying it though. Yeah, I liked this match. Of course, it would have been better in front of a crowd. Like, I don't talk like that. At least I don't think I talk like that. And if I do, I apologize because, shit, I wouldn't want to listen to me if I was talking like that. But, you know, that's, I feel, I know that a lot of people, and Callum, I know you're in this boat too. I know a lot of people don't like Michael Cole. But if Michael Cole and JBL would have been doing this, it would have been better. It would have been so much better. Michael Cole was better than this one. I mean, this is already cemented for me, the the worst commentary of the year because i can't i can't specifically say that they'll be like the worst commentators or whatever but i could just encapsulate like, this one match because this match went on for like five hours anyway so i might as well be covering <laughs> the entire thing but it's just like just how bad this was i can't remember commentary being this bad for like one match what did help though to be perfectly honest is when i realized about midway through that i wasn't liking the commentary either that's when I had put on uh, a YouTube video of 15 minutes long of just um, crowd chants, just ah, all that stuff. And I had that on kind of low and it was enough for me to drown out the commentary and then kind of pretend like I was watching it live. So that helped out for me. And if anybody, uh, for some reason, if they're, they didn't watch this and they're listening to this and they want to go back and watch it, if you're finding yourself not liking the commentary and all that, try it out because I'm curious to see if it helps with anybody else. It didn't with any other match. I tried it with other ones and that didn't help, but this one it did. And and, and even though I'd say I I I'm, I stand by the fact that I didn't enjoy this match. In commentary aside, the commentary definitely was the worst part of it, but I still didn't enjoy the actual structure or layout of the match anyway. I'm not saying there weren't cool spots like Edge swinging off that piece of gym equipment into a seat and sent on onto Randy Orton on that chair or the elbow drop off the mesh roof onto the desk or the elbow drop through the table or the DDT in the in the uh, pickup truck and all that other stuff. The ending was definitely the best part where they brought it back full circle with Edge hitting the concerto and that gets the the 10 count that was the right finish and they pulled that off really well but yeah i just feel like it was really it went on way 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 too long 
it got really slow in a lot of different parts. They were just doing the same thing over and over again in too much of it. So, yeah, I'm not a huge, not a huge fan of this match overall. Can we talk about some of those weird spots? Yeah, can we talk uh, about the fact that Ed dropped himself crotch first on Randy Orton's face? You know that what's was... odd? The thing that made me um, the most scared was when he, I think they referred to it as a slide in the gym area where he like kind of sled a sled. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where he like kind of awkwardly ran and jumped on these little weights and stuff to do that. I was like, he's going to slip. And like that out of all the spots, that was the one where I'm like, he's going to get injured. Oh my God. Not even when it's like, yeah, he's going to fall off of this thing or whatever. I was just like, ah, don't slip and don't make it. It's one of those things where you it, had this triumphant comeback and you slipped on that thing. You know, if it, it, it felt a lot like, like the first few matches when we were watching Daniel Bryan's comeback, mm. it just felt like every single thing he was doing, he was going to kill himself. Yeah, especially when they're like, bad. they're like, we don't know if you could ever wrestle again. We're going to make you yeah. retire and all that. But now that you came back, can you wrestle for like an hour and a half at a battle royal? <laughs> I will say that I felt very comfortable with this being a pre-tape. Because I could watch it without the fear of, oh god, he didn't die. Because I, I know he didn't die with any of these, because they pre-taped it, they wouldn't show it if he died. It was weird to see this big tour of the Performance Center, too, and to know yep. that, like, what's up with the steel grate hanging over the table? Yeah, For workouts. I, I, yeah, I don't workouts. Know. Yeah. Do, do you think it was, um, I, I assume it wasn't exactly a... Um, a coincidence that they did an advert for the performance center immediately after this match as well <laughs> just did a little like uh just a little walkthrough like if we hadn't seen enough of the performance center we got intimately equated with the performance center during this match you didn't need to do an advert afterwards just saying how great it was i didn't even notice that but good catch yeah i actually didn't notice that they did that little thing and uh i was probably just writing something up about re- the review side you probably yeah, you probably you probably got more caught up with the fact that they walked back four years in time for a Snickers commercial, which featured Zack Ryder and uh, Ric Flair, when Ric Flair actually looks vaguely like he used to. You know, I, I didn't even see that. I did because I had said, "Oh, look at Charlotte in her original gear that says woo across her chest." I thought I was like, "Wow, she looks so much younger." I yeah, didn't that the, see that at all, actually. No, that was the, that was the Snickers commercial they used at WrestleMania. Uh, was it thirty two? It was the one that Ryder won the yeah, you know, thirty two. Yeah, hmm. and just brought that back just out of the blue. Like, can you film? I, I guess I think they said because uh, they were just doing a countdown of the best Snickers commercials, and that was number one. All right, okay, fair enough. But it just like it just seems to be just an odd like interlude of like, well, Ric Flair doesn't look anything like this anymore. He's walking. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We didn't get a uh, America the Beautiful. No, yeah, no. last time. Yeah, I just, huh? I didn't notice that until right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, I didn't notice those things. I might have to go back and check that out because uh, I don't remember that. I'm sure I've seen it before. I'm sure I saw it when they did it at last uh, WrestleMania that they did it. But, um, you know, I'm sitting there going like, "All right, I'm going to take a look at this Performance Center tour that they're giving us." And it's like, "Oh, there's a bunch of WB Mason things. I guess they order their supplies through there and like." So looks like this is a an interesting thing in the gym. I don't know what it is because I don't go to the gym. This is uh whatever. That's kind of cool. This is, you know, this hallway. He's got these posters up. That's kind of neat that they hung that up. Why is there a steel cage kind of great above the conference table? 
okay. And like, I'm kind of at that point, I was like, oh, at this point, anywhere we go could be weird. Like, they could go to the bathroom and it could have sledgehammers hanging up. Well, I was hoping like, I was hoping when they got to the storage thing, we'd see a lot of props that like you don't norm that you've seen like from the past in WWE. Like, someone pulls out um, Moppy or something like that, and they start beating the other one with it. <laughs> Mitch the plant makes a return. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that would yeah. be a cool thing to do if they ended up fighting in, like, the actual Stamford warehouse. Yeah, that's true. But they could have taken some of the stuff in there and just said that they have some of it in storage in the performance center. I still feel like they need to bring that show back. WWE warehouse. That was cool. But I like that. Uh, I see a lot of people drawing conclusions and saying maybe it's not a good idea right after the Benoit documentary to have somebody strangling themselves with gym equipment. We're not struggling. I got so like many everything. text messages that said that. Yeah. And I'm like, I wasn't even thinking like that, you guys. I didn't think of that either until people brought it up. So who, who are you talking about, by the way? Who's who's this Chris Benoit? I don't think I don't I don't recall him being in the uh on the network or anything like that. No, see who isn't Chris Benoit? Who is Jim Neidhart? Uh <laughs> so then we're not talking about Jim Neidhart either, but I, a no. lot of people a lot of people took that in direction. I kind of felt like I needed to bring that up because I, I seen it. So many people talking about that, that I was like, if we didn't, I'm sure somebody would be like, what do you think about that? Whatever. I didn't, it didn't dawn on me. So no, I, I think it shows how few people in the top brass of the WWE actually watched that documentary or knew, even knew that it was taking place. I mean, I watched the documentary and oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. it's, you know, that relatively fresh on my mind. Cause that was only like two weeks ago or so, but when that happened, I wasn't thinking, oh, no, like, this is an illusion. To I I was just like, well, this isn't going to be the end of the match. Like, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> like, I mean, it could, it could have been worse. He could have locked in a cross face straight afterwards as well. That probably yeah. would have been a bit on the nose. If that would have happened and if they would have done some other things, it might have clicked in my brain and might have been like, hmm, maybe not the best idea. But I don't think that that was some kind of offensive thing. I, I, I would guarantee you it's not a reference to it, you know. Maybe they could have used better judgment and stuff, but at the same time, you can't just not do things just in case things happen, you know. But I like this overall. I mean, this was something that I just felt so happy about seeing Edge that maybe I blinded myself to some of the other negatives and I flat out, you know, blocked out the commentary. So I fully admit when it comes to that. But but I felt so good about this afterward because I'm like, you know, if this was Edge's last match, even though it's a shame that it's not happening in front of the crowd, at least he does get a better end than the Del Rio thing. And it seems like he is feeling good enough that that's not going to be the end too. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm cool with this feud ending. That was a good end. Now I'm thinking, let's go with uh, Edge versus uh, AJ Styles. Let's go with Edge versus Tommaso Ciampa. Like, whatever you're going to go with. I'm really looking forward to it. What would you go with? I I think I would go with Rollins, but what would you guys go with? Did we do one uh, more match, Edge? I don't think we, we did, not. right? No, no, I don't think we've done that yet. So should we... Oh, we might have done... Oh, yeah, we did do that a while ago. That was before... Um... I didn't do it, so... But... Oh, I, I can't remember anyway, but... Is that Kevin in, Owens? In terms of... uh... No, that was Shawn Michaels. Uh, oh, yeah, that was Shawn right. Michaels, yeah. So maybe, we, maybe we didn't do Edge in the end. Instead of doing one more match, Edge, should we do many more matches, Edge? <laughs> yeah. Well, if I would say like who I'd want for his next opponent, 
like he seems that he's going on a bit of a run of taking on people that he's kind of familiar with at the moment. So maybe try and warm him up a little bit with. I'm, I'm trying to think because I'm I'm trying to say Ziggler because I know their matches are good and it's just another opponent that he's familiar with to give him a bit more like ring readiness before he takes on somebody that he's new. But if you want to take on like a new guy that he hasn't fought before, I'd like to see him face Brian at some point. I, I assume he has faced Daniel Bryan, but only when Daniel Bryan was really starting out in WWE. So this what would be a like scary a, match. Different, a different dynamic. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Just uh, every every punch. Oh no! Oh god! <laughs> I mean, eventually he's got to get a world title shot at some point. So oh, he's gonna win it at some point. So I would have thought like if he's uh, um yeah maybe he'll win it, but like I thought if he's gonna face someone for the world title at some point, he's gonna face. Reigns for a title at some point, and that match should be pretty good. A spear, but well, a spear, that sort of thing. Honestly, if he wanted to warm it up with the guy he's been in the ring with plenty of times, McIntyre and Edge have had matches. I want to see... I want to see a lot. I mean, I want to see Aleister Black versus him, but I could hold off on that. And if we don't get it, I'm not going to be like, oh no, the one match that should have happened. Or... I want to see Andrade. I think that could be good. Definitely want to see AJ Styles. That might be the number one that I want to see. Seth Rollins is another one I want to see. Um, Kevin Owens would be great with him. Yeah, Kevin Owens would be fantastic with him. I'm curious about Samoa Joe. I think that that could be really good. I want, I want to see Cesaro as well against him, I think, because Cesaro has great matches with everyone, so Cesaro against Edge would be great. Cesaro yeah, versus trust- Edge could be a really good like Raw or SmackDown match because I don't think that they'll ever really push Cesaro for a big, big spot. But if they want to give you the, like, let's give you a treat on one of those TV shows and book those two for like a 30 minute match or something like that, that could be fantastic. And and fundamentally, they need to do Edge versus Cena one final time. Oh, absolutely. And I hope it's not in Saudi Arabia so I can maybe be in attendance. I mean, everybody is going to be in agreement. Apollo Crews. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, God, I, they're going to do Edge versus Corbin at some point, and that's actually going to be a proper feud, and that'll piss me off. Like, wow, you wasted two months on this. I think it could be, uh, potentially be kind of good, but I wouldn't want them to waste too much time. And yeah, I, one I'd month be curious. Be yeah, one month feud, good. Just get it out of the way. But If he was to get... Let's say the world returns to normal within a few months, and he... They do a superstar shakeup, and he goes to SmackDown. I could see him taking the IC title off Sami Zayn for a month or so. Yeah, uh-huh. Sami Zayn is another one I want to see. I am less inclined to want Shinsuke Nakamura Edge as Cesaro and Zayn. I don't think that he would work as well with Nakamura compared to the other two, but I would totally be up for seeing Nakamura Edge, too. Uh, at this point, after watching the documentary and seeing that he's he holds Dash Wilder in such high regard, I'd like to kind of see the two of them fight on Raw or SmackDown. On TV, yeah, well, you won't you won't get that by the end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nope, not gonna happen. Uh, <laughs> if they would have actually cared about uh Robert Roode to make him somebody instead of making him just a tag team guy, Robert Roode versus Edge could have potentially been great. So there's a lot to look forward to with Edge, and the fact that this happened and he's okay, it seems from all accounts is just, like, I'm just happy about it. So, yay. Like, very cool. I agree 100%. And we had a segment that I was kind of anticipating, but not in the way that it happened. 
uh, Rob Gronkowski won the 24-7 championship, and he did not lose it by the end of the night, so he's still our 24-7 champion. And right. in the process of this, they had like 20 people come out, and dude, <laughs> who the hell were some of these people, and what the hell happened to that whole 10 people to a limit type of thing? So, it's a great question on who are some of these people, because at first I thought, like, maybe Dawkins was one of them. Because I saw, like, somebody of Dawkins' size. Right. But he had, like, a red beanie on. I thought that fucking Van Hammer came out at one point. (laughs) (laughs) One of the first dudes. I was just like, is that Van Hammer? And then I'm like, why am I thinking of Van Hammer? Of course it's not Van Hammer. Then I'm like, oh, so it's got to be. And then I'm like, it's got to be who? Who the fuck are these people? As far as I know, nobody's reported this yet. Like, they got to be people from, like, Evolve or something. Like, oh, right. I just picked up on the street on the way there or something. <laughs> Might <laughs> just, be. Just people, just people outside in the performance says, hey, hey, guys, do you want to be part of WrestleMania? Just get up in these costumes. And, like, it was probably just some people like some performance center recruits. Is that No Way <laughs> Jose's conga line without the, uh, maybe <laughs> without the burger costume? <laughs> um, then you think of a blatant disregard for social distancing because all of a sudden I look at my screen and there's like 10 people just huddled around one another and Rob Gronkowski's just free falling from the crow's nest. Yeah, I, I, this was just, I kind of figured, okay, at some point during this show, our truth is going to try to win back the 24 seven title and he's going to do something to Mojo Raleigh and Gronkowski's going to take advantage and he's going to win it. And then maybe by the end of the night, our truth wins the title back or something like that. And instead it's like, no, instead we're just going to have like 20 people jump all over each other. that were completely unknowns as far as I know at the very least. And Gronk's going to win and he's the champion going forward. And I guess this is the thing that they were talking about the whole, like he does some things that you would never expect. Well, totally. I wouldn't expect a free fall into a bunch of people, so at least that's more of a delivery than the Reigns thing being unique. That's annoying, though, too, because it's just... What do you mean this was something that I wouldn't have expected? I, If you would have said to me, what's the one thing you expect Rob Gronkowski to do? I would have said, well, if he does anything other than just literally hosting the show, which, were they really hosting anything? They really didn't host the damn thing. I would have been like, yeah, okay, he's going to win the 24-7 title because Marshmallow has won this. You know, Fox Anchors have won this. Uh, that's not surprising, you know. Yeah, he'll drop it tomorrow night on Raw. Yeah, he will. I'm assuming that that's going to at least be like midway through the show or something. But it's just like, hey, you would never expect us to do the thing that we've done 48 times by now or something. I think we've had like 40 something champions. Yeah. Yeah. I can expect that. Yeah. So the social distancing stuff was kind of weird there. And then on the next segment, we had well over 10 people again, because we had the street profits against angel Garza and Austin theory accompanied by Selena Vega. Then you add a referee in the mix. You add a couple cameramen, two people in commentary and all that. We're well over 10. But yeah, ten- but at least they were distanced. They weren't huddled on top yeah, of Yeah, much more than yeah, the 24-7 title thing. Um, I think it... Oh, wait, no, it's... Yeah, it's uh, after this, at uh, that point where Titus O'Neil suddenly becomes our host. But um, Raw Tag Team titles, it's a filler match. I like everybody. I mean, uh, I'm not super huge on Dawkins, but I like him. And 
it, it was what it was. It's nothing. But the important thing was after the match, then we ended up getting a whole post-match beatdown kind of thing, and Bianca Belair comes out to make the save. Because if you don't know, Montez Ford, Bianca Belair, husband and wife. And I thought that that was cool. That was the that was the cool moment of this whole thing. It would have been a lot cooler at Raymond James Stadium, of course. Everything else would have been. But I liked it. I like her turning face. And I like the idea that she's at least somewhat paired up with them, but I don't want her to just become like... The female version of them. Yeah, female street profit. Like, don't just be like, we got a chick now. Like, let her be Bianca. Right. I agree with that. I thought this was fine. This was... A lot of these matches feel like they could have fit on an old school WrestleMania card where they didn't try to have 20-minute matches for everything. And this was one of them. It was fine. Uh, Ford hit a great frog splash. He's the man. He's so good. And I liked it. I'd, I'd like to say that this match was like short and sweet, and it was just fine and got what needs to be done pretty quickly. But I, I didn't like this. I thought it was bad. I thought it was a bad match. I think it was unnecessarily sloppy between all four guys. I thought Dawkins, who... I'm probably more of a fan of than you guys are. And I think that he's kind of the glue that holds that team together when Ford is a bit just very much style, le- less substance. I thought he looked out of shape and was working pretty slowly. Uh, I hate the point where Ford yells WrestleMania and then dives to all the people on the outside. Cause I thought that was a... Garza also yelled the rest of me. Yeah, they they were all doing it. I just thought, yeah, yeah, you're all just a bunch of jobbers. We don't care about <laughs> you. You guys aren't worth anything, and you'll be forgotten about and discarded in the next couple of months or whatever. Anyway, so it doesn't matter anyway. Like who who in their right mind who thinks that they could potentially be a main event or a big deal one year starts yelling WrestleMania at the top of their lungs when they before doing any sort of move. It's like they're very much just a bunch of jokers and it wasn't offensive to me i I just feel like you're supposed to be you're raw tag team champions now can you stop acting as much of a bunch of clowns as you are because ever since they've come to the main roster they're just a joke act that is now the tag team champions they don't have there's not an ounce of credibility or seriousness in their entire bodies except that they say that we want the smoke which i have absolutely no idea what that means well, if you have smoke, they want it. There you go. You know. Well, surely, surely, when they said that we want the smoke, that was the tag team titles. Now they have the tag team titles. Why do they want the smoke anymore? They have the smoke. <laughs> they're carrying the smoke around their waist. I assume that was what they meant. But no, clearly... no, they're just consistently asking for weed. <laughs> <laughs> so they're gonna go to some, uh, like I don't know, Pittsburgh or something, where there's like some steel factory, and there's gonna be like smoke coming out of the. <laughs> some pipes or something and they're gonna go ah that's why we wanted that's just gonna be it or somebody's gonna yeah. up, think a pasta and steam's gonna come out and they're gonna be like ah the smoke we found it yeah but i think i think what we just did there was illustrate callum's point as yeah they need to be a little more intense and serious but it's the main roster and i sadly don't see that happening no i don't see it happening either but it's just yeah, there was some nice flippy stuff, and it was a good finish with the frog splash at the end of it. Uh, 
when the post-match beatdown happened, I was got mildly annoyed because I thought, okay, this is a match that wasn't even supposed to happen in the first place, and now we're trying to extend the feud out. But then the Bianca thing comes, and that was the best part of the entire segment. Mm-hmm. Although I don't like the idea of Bianca being tied to these two because these two are jokes, and she is much more than she has much more potential to be a joke like these two. So I hope she gets a bit separated from them fairly soon, and this was just a one-off thing. I'm hoping it's more of the way that Becky and Seth are now compared to what Becky and Seth were yeah. at this point last year. Let Bianca be her own person because she has a very high ceiling. And yeah. maybe Montez does at some point, but right now he's just like, well, a tag team, lower card tag team guy. Well, if he has a high ceiling, he's going to jump up there because he jumps super freaking high. Mm. But yeah, that was the best part of the whole thing. And I like the idea of Bianca going on to the Raw roster. And I kind of um, hope that she does super well because Bianca is awesome. So I like that. Uh, Titus O'Neil, as I mentioned before, he takes over for Gronk. Uh, if you I don't know, have anything to say about that, then that's a thing. <laughs> it's... Yeah, it's it just nice to see Titus. I don't, I can't remember the last time I saw him in anything. So yeah, if you like our hosting jobs, uh, donate to the Patreon if you are bail, uh, able to do that. Um, Patreon is something that I've explained a million times. I'm sure you've heard it all by now. Very very quickly though, every dollar goes a long way, especially during this time frame where everything is kind of up in the air and we don't know exactly what's going to happen with pro wrestling and all the other kind of things that go along with that. So if you do got a buck to spare for the entire month, then I would greatly appreciate that. And that will help to keep the lights on here and help keep my motivation going to keep doing things for Smart Out Moment. The same thing for Fanboys Anonymous because that's my geek culture website to talk about movie reviews. When there are no movies and TV stuff, when TV isn't kind of on the same right hiatus that they normally would be and, you know, all the kind of things that go along with that. So if you want more content for Smart Out Moment or for Fanboys Anonymous, consider donating to the Patreon, take advantage of the Darkcast tier or higher to get exclusive content and do the Pick Your Poison tier if you want to specifically request certain things for either of those websites. You do audio commentary tracks Mount Rushmore things, whatever it is, toss out the ideas, donate to those tiers, and we'll figure it out and we'll do it. So let's move on to something that I am going to crap all over, and it's not the second coming, Dan. <laughs> it's uh, the SmackDown Women's Championship Fatal 5-Way Elimination Match. Bailey walks in as champion, as she has for many, many months, to beat everybody, and beats everybody. She retains, which means this was absolutely pointless because there was not much of anything going into this. They have done a terrible job with Bailey's title reign. And every time that it's another pay-per-view, it seems like there's a chance that they could do something interesting and they don't over and over and over again to the point where this WrestleMania, we've been talking about this for months now of this whole, why are they not building anything to this? Are they just going to have rematches? Is it just going to be whatever? Are they literally just going to, at the last minute, go, we'll throw a bunch of people in there, and that's going to be good enough, because quality and quantity mean the same thing, which they really don't. And that's what ended up happening. But they at least had one option that they could have gone with here. The one and only interesting thing that could have happened over the course of these past couple of months at this point was if Sasha would have won the championship 
Like, if you would have gotten down to Sasha and Bailey, Sasha could have won and their friendship could start to dissolve. Nope. Bailey retains. They're still friends. No problems. Status quo is maintained. It's exactly the same position as it has been, and there's no reason for this to even exist. I, th- I think that was that's too harsh of the of the match. I feel like they actually did something which was worthwhile in that they didn't just rush it to the absolute end, and they decided to use this opportunity. And I know it's it's WrestleMania, and so that should be the culmination of things. But they did a poor job building up to it. And I'm not going to excuse them from that. But they decided to use this as the launching pad of that story, as opposed to the culmination that it potentially could have been if they'd have built it up properly so it's not ideal but it's better than nothing so they decided to use this match just to give these guys a bit of a showcase they gave them plenty of time to work which was i guess refreshing it meant that we had to see a lot of tamina which wasn't refreshing but you know got got her out of the way eventually by having everybody hit a flying move on her and pinning her then they worked, uh, Banks and Bailey worked together to eliminate Naomi. Uh, Bailey and Banks get into a bit of a argument. It revolves in uh, Lacey Evans punching uh, Sasha Banks with the women's right and pinning her. And then we get this probably overly long battle between Bailey and Lacey Evans, which didn't need to go as like as in depth as it did. I I don't like the idea. Uh, the finish is baffling to me because it's an elimination match. Yeah, it's no DQ still. What's the point of having a no DQ elimination match? Surely the idea would be that you don't get a championship advantage because Bailey could just well if Bailey disqualified herself at any point, she just gets eliminated and loses the title. So why could Sasha just come in and like disqualify it and like attack no disqualification bailey gets gets to win afterwards i thought that was too much but it did tell the story of sasha still has bailey's bang back after all this stuff anyway so they still seem to be strong but sasha's clearly eyeing up the smackdown women's title and you can see the seeds being sown for them to eventually break up and fighting over the title in the next couple of months should wrestling return in the next couple of months Fuck's sake, though. I mean, the next couple of months, this story's been going on for two and a half years. Okay, and I'll interject myself here because I agree with what Calum said. I think Tony was a little harsh on the match. And Calum is right. They sowed the seeds. I was holding back, actually. (laughs) I had more negatives to say. But then Tony brings up the point of they're very hesitant to pull the trigger. These two women have been on the main roster together since... September of 16, I believe, and they have not had a one-on-one pay-per-view match because they keep teasing it and they don't go there. I think at the end of the day, you will get it this time. And maybe, if not, as soon as they come back, they're still advertising money in the bank. I think Sasha can win that and then cash in on Bailey to... Break up the friendship. The cashew tree is a tropical... See, what bugs me, though, I mentioned this earlier, the idea of, like, storytelling 
it's not like I think the, the analogy I put up earlier is like mystery storytelling is not keeping people in the dark and hoping that if you don't tell them something that that's a mystery. Mystery is setting up something and then eventually paying it off. And if you don't tell somebody all the details and it's just that you don't know, well, then that's not good storytelling for a mystery. And when it comes to teasing, teasing is good when you get little bits of things and it slowly or quickly, depending on how long you want to do it, does this progression that leads somewhere and not that it just doesn't happen and you tease that it could happen over and over and over and over and over again and you perpetually say, but it's not. Because what we've gotten every single time that they've seemed like they were going to feud has been a very abrupt stop for it. I mean, I I I can't count how many times they've done the whole like, the two of them are arguing backstage and then they go the, the next week they go, we're still friends. And then you go, Oh, okay. But are they going to fight? And then six months go by and you're like, no, they didn't. No, fundamentally they did that once. It was and one, that, it was once over the span of like a three month teased breakup thing. So they but kept doing that, it. But, that, but no, but that's the only time they did it. It's they haven't even like, presented the concepts that happening in the last year and a half or so well the past couple of weeks everything's been is sasha eyeing up the championship and whatever and then now again they're going no she's got bailey's back well yeah because but but it's it's quite clear by the story that yes she does have her back and they never did anything to contravene the fact that she doesn't have her back but it's clear that sasha does have eyes for the title but that doesn't mean that. Like it's 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 building up. Like you could just try and pay it off all win a sudden with just having Sasha Banks win, but they're actually trying to tell a sto- like put a story together for this one. So I'm actually happier with that result. See, I don't feel like this is a story. I feel like they're just stretching it out. Cause what along the way, like if I want I don't know, uh, what's a movie franchise that's not Star Wars, so I don't end up ranting about it. <laughs> 007. Well, like a, a series that I mean, the the Bond series that, that's kind of not really fully interconnected. Oh, you know, actually, I'll do it with the, the new Bond movies because we're going to get uh, no time to die. So spoilers for these new Bond films, if you haven't seen them already. We get Casino Royale and it sets up the idea of this organization. They're, you know, controlling a bunch of things and Bond's going to go after them because he had the love of his life and she passes away and and ends up being like, all right, now he's on the next step is he's on a mission for revenge. And then he gets the revenge and he's got a little bit of, you know, okay, well, I'm over this now, but I'm a different type of person. And then, well, you got the revenge on us, so we're gonna get the revenge on you by sending these people. And then we get Spectre in the mix and it kind of comes full circle. And it's like those are I, I hate Quantum of Solace, but at least it told the story of the next step towards the thing. I feel like the Bailey and Sasha feud there's no steps along this way. It's just been their friends. Bailey beats people. And yeah, there's no, there's no twists. There's no interesting things. Like she beats Naomi. Okay. Who cares? She beats Carmella. Okay. Who cares? Like, I, I think no, but the story's starting now. That's the point. You, you, you're thinking that the story started months ago. No, it's starting now. It's well, starts at, at WrestleMania. At the very least, then I could say if, if not this story, if it starts now, then that changes some of it, but that also means everything leading up to this point with Bailey's thing has been awful. 
because that had no story and it was a waste. And that sucks for WrestleMania. No, I agree with you in that regard. Bailey's title feud has been a bit of a dud, and every feud that she's had building up to this has been lackluster, and they had no plans for a good WrestleMania feud because they faced she'd faced everyone in SmackDown right. anyway and beaten them. That's I completely one hundred percent agree with you. With the feud, is, uh, her her build as a champion has been poor, but it's the this part with the Sasha stuff is, I guess, in the back burner because. It's just their friends, their ta- their tag team partners, and nothing's changed with that. And now it's changing because now Sasha's got eyes on the title, and she had an opportunity here, she missed out on it, and now she's going to try and. Well, they're slowly going to separate with Sasha's allegiances going between wanting to win the title and wanting to stay friends with Bailey, and eventually it's going to break on the other side of it. I have no faith they're going to pull it off. I have no commendations for them to have taken seven, eight, nine months of, you know, because the feud did start earlier. Because remember when they first had Sasha and Bailey, when Sasha had come back, they teased the idea that they were going to feud. And then they did the whole thing where it was like, we're, why would you think that I wouldn't be on the same page as her and whatever? So they didn't tease that. Sasha was on a different brand to Bailey. It's, it's the idea, like, she came back and she went after Becky immediately. To kind of to kind of sum up what is happening here, Tony has no faith in them because he feels like they've teased this for too long. Callum is pointing out that factually they only teased it going into WrestleMania two years ago, and that's one time that they didn't pull it off. And I think that they desperately need this feud because the SmackDown Women's Championship picture is going nowhere. And I think we can all agree with that. Yeah, no, but I, I mean, I, I you saw Tamina in there. That's going to make a difference. <laughs> well, no, I also, I, I also agree with Tony that they're not going to pull this off and it's going to end badly because none mm-hmm. of their feuds end up well anyway. So it's not like it's not like I'm pretending that this is going to go great. I'm just saying that I've, I don't feel like they've built, they've beaten this like de- down too much. I mean, they they made them a tag team for a long time. They made them the first tag team champions. Then Sasha disappeared for like six months. In that time, other things changed with Bailey. Like they both came back. Well, Bailey turned heel, and then Sasha came back as a heel. So they can re- now they have to slowly separate which one. Because I don't even think they know at this point in time which one is going to be the babyface in this year. I honestly don't think Sasha, there's. But... I don't think there's going to be a babyface. I think that. Well, I don't think they're going to feud. I don't think they're going to pull the trigger. And I think they're going to tease this for a while. And I think Mandy Rose is going to beat Bailey. And they're going to have Mandy uh, and Bailey feuding for a while. And Sasha is two on one. And I, there's even a chance that they go with the whole like, oh, you know, but I need to have Sonya to have my back. And we're not going to feud. And we're going to just reteam that. And we're going to get the two of those against each other or something. Like that wouldn't shock me. But even if they do end up feuding. I could see them being like, well, let the fans decide. And then Banks wins it. And then they go, yeah, we like Banks better as a heel, though. And then it's just you go with heel Banks. Like, I, I have zero faith in them pulling this off. I, I actually don't even think they're going to even try. I think they like teasing it here and there and that they didn't want to put any effort at all into the SmackDown Women's title thing. And whoever picked this as being like, this is the thing for WrestleMania, this is good, disagree. And whoever said 
Flair should beat Ripley? Disagree. And if you're the same person, stop booking. <laughs> you know, like you just, just stop. <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, speaking of things you don't like or things that you might love, because some somebody loved that decision. You know, somebody out there was like, I think it would be great if we did all these things. Uh, I can see people absolutely loving and absolutely hating the Firefly Funhouse match. I think it depends entirely on your perspective going in. I think I actually wrote it on my Bleacher Report thing or not. If I didn't, then I'm not repeating myself. But if I am, sorry. Uh, but the idea of, did you want something different? If you did, I'm sure that that's something that you like. Did you want something hokey? Then that's brilliant. Do you hate that kind of stuff? This is probably the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. Did you want a match? You didn't really get it. Did you want a movie type thing? You definitely did. There's funny jokes. There's interesting cinematography. Uh, a lot of interesting things here and there. So I'm I'm split because I I didn't like it in some ways and I loved it in some ways. The only thing that this was missing for me was the part where we make sense as to how John Cena wakes up in the Firefly Funhouse. Because what we got was John Cena walks out for a match. He's like, welcome to WrestleMania. And we're in Bray Wyatt's mind. It was just like there was no realization of how do we get here. I like what we got once we got there. It wasn't a match and it, by any stretch of the imagination. And I kind of feel like it should have ended with Bray Wyatt in a mental hospital laughing and a therapist asking, what's so funny? And he just says, you wouldn't get it. Yeah, because why was John Cena doing these things? <laughs> like, you, they were trying to tell that Bray Wyatt's in control because there were the few moments where John would like try to fight him and fight out of these weird skits that he was doing, but they didn't get there. I just want the point of, okay, we either show that John Cena has been drugged and is now having a fever dream or how is Bray Wyatt in control of all this? Outside of that, the visual of John Cena in his 2002 gear and his current physique was hysterical. With the hair. <laughs> With the hair. The hair made it better. Um, the whole John Cena's during the NWO and he's turned heel and they actually showed him, you know, while he's taking out his frustrations, you're seeing, you know, he, lo he loses to Lesnar and he loses to this one and that one. And you're showing reasons why he very well could have turned heel. And they're giving that to you. And then the visual of Bray Wyatt using John Cena's own words to explain why John Cena won't be a thing because he's the most overhyped and overprivileged and all that. I thought all that was good. It's just we didn't get any explanation as to how or why this was all happening. 
as a match, I hated this. As a promo, I thought it was amazing. How you feeling, Callum? Hmm. I, I still don't know how I'm really processing this entire yeah. thing. <laughs> My whole but, uh, review on Swarka Moment is what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> see, what I'm getting out of it is this fit perfectly into what the Bray Wyatt character is now. It was a great encapsulation of John Cena's entire career and the twists and turns and putting John Cena into different scenarios like the NWO or like old Hulk Hogan era wrestling and just him being this, like the, the ultimate superhero, the golden goose, that type of thing. But deep down, he's a really broken, horrible individual who just keeps people down and is given opportunity after opportunity and is totally overhyped and everything to that extent, everything that he accused Wyatt of, as Rob said. Uh, go back to the rapping stuff and going back to his initial debut with Kurt Angle and then recalibrating it with Wyatt in certain roles. I thought all that was really good. The Mr. McBoss Man stuff was funny. Macho Mercy. That's such good shit. <laughs> yeah, that's such that good shit. Yeah, yeah, that's just good Bray, shit. Bray Wyatt doing a Nikki Bella tease at one point in the ring. And then, yeah, so, like, but then I watch all of it and just go, my my honest reaction coming out of all of it and just saying all of it is like, can't we go back to wrestling matches where one guy wants to beat another guy? Yeah. Because I, I just watched that and thought, this is utter shit. Utter, utter shit. Of like, and I, I'll tell you, it's, I, I absolutely loved and unashamedly loved the Undertaker Age of Styles match. But you know what the difference between that and this was? That was a that fight. like a fight. Yeah, that yeah. was fundamentally more of a fight than this was. This this was two moves, I think, in a in a ring that was like somehow there was a ring in this one and not yeah like you know and this this was a, this was a giant like huge like weird acid trip comedy segment mm-hmm. and which would be totally like fine me. if it was like if it was Goldust versus Roddy Piper from WrestleMania twelve. Where it's two guys who, yeah, they're fundamentally they're a mid card level, but they're like they're decent level guys, or whatever. This guy was Universal Champion a month ago. This is a main yeah. event act. This is supposed to be a main event act against the guy who's a sixteen time world champion doing this segment. They're doing this shit. This is yeah, it's just. I'm I'm sure many people got a kick out of it and they found it really funny and wacky and all that other stuff and. I can't say that I didn't enjoy it on some level because it was just absolutely batshit insane. So I found myself laughing constantly during it, but I'm laughing at it. I'm not laughing with it. I'm laughing at it because it's so, it's so, it's so child, not even childish. It's just so, okay, they they did, they decided to put the weirdest thing they possibly could together. Bravo to them. But at the end of the day, it doesn't make me care about why or scenery anymore out the back of this. Well, it's also very inside baseball. Yeah. Mm. So, so like, yeah, you're, you're laughing at it. I'm laughing at it. I'm sure Rob's laughing at it. Like anybody who's been laughing at it, I'm pretty sure that anybody who would find this fun and interesting, ignoring the fact that like, yeah, there's part of me that's like, this wasn't a match and that's annoying and I don't like that. Or like, you know, any of those kind of things. If you divide that and you go with a section of the people that like it, 
I feel like the only people that like it are also ones that have followed wrestling for years. Because if you don't know that the person popping up on screen is Eric Bischoff talking about the NWO and that that was this whole big thing in WCW and it was a whole Hogan spray painted the title and he's a heel and all that. And that's a reference to John Cena being the Hulk Hogan of his era. And this uh, he's wearing the shorts because it was the ruthless aggression thing. And that's why he kept saying ruthless aggression. If you don't know that, it's not funny. The references are references. They're not jokes for casuals. I couldn't show this match to somebody who doesn't watch wrestling and have them understand a goddamn thing about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you might I, love dish- the references and the stuff, and that's great. Like, it's, you know, I find some of that funny. I, I wrote down one of my random notes was, I hope Rambling, Rambling Rabbit, Rabbit never turns heel. Like, you know, I I found fun in this and stuff. And there's there is half of me that if you would have said this is the promo leading up to their match at WrestleMania, I'd be like, oh, it's brilliant. But part then of you me told me it, might, it was supposed to be, you know, part of me thinks maybe this is part of what they had going towards the match at Mania. And then they would just go and have a regular match. Because even for me, and I'm a huge fan, it took me a minute to go, why are they showing Nitro? Why are they showing Bischoff? And then I realized, okay, they're going to allude to a Hollywood John Cena kind of thing. And it it was interesting. But where do we go from here? I don't think WWE has any idea. And I don't really know if this helped Bray Wyatt. I don't, it didn't hurt him. But like, well, here's a question. This might seem like it's throwing a question out there that's just like meant to be rude or something like that. But I don't mean it in that way. I mean it in a legitimate question. Is Bray Wyatt doing these kind of things? Is uh, Was it Wyndham Rotunda? I think is his name. Yeah, that's his name. Is he doing these things because he is doing absolutely brilliant character work for somebody who is he's grown up in the business and he understands the idea that like it is kind of funny and it is kind of interesting to have Kane reference that he used to be a dentist when everybody can kind of play inside baseball like that, but you don't want to really do that because if you call Mark Calloway the Undertaker, then it's different. Is he doing something that nobody has ever done before of saying all characters in pro wrestling are all this combined story thing. And it's all these alternate universes that are all the same thing. And like really giving a lot of like deep thought to these things, or is he a major, major mark for himself? (laughs) Like he does this boil down to him just being like, I am the shit and I am the most interesting thing that has ever happened. And all of me has always been the most interesting thing. So all I want to do for this whole character is just constantly reference things that I've done in the past. I want to fight Daniel Bryan because we had a feud. I want to fight Kane because we had a feud. I want to have John Cena. I want to reference because they referenced even like, oh, you you made the wrong decision the last time when I gave you the chair and stand and stood in front of you. And it's like, I forgot about that. He clearly didn't because it's part of his career and he would remember it more. But like, that's equally very cool. And also me going, but does he just think that that's the coolest thing? 
is he just think, on an eco trip? Like, you know, <laughs> I think they're trying to make this character similar to the undertaker where you can have it all be interconnected. I do think when it's all said and done, this was the inverse of the undertaker angle to me where like Cena, what made it strong for me was that Cena came at him with real fire in the promos. Like he would just say things like, dude, you're just Husky Harris and a mask and I'm not afraid of you. And then suddenly when we get to the dance, you're in a fever dream, and this is the most not real hyperbole thing you can put on TV. None of that matched the promo that John Cena was cutting. I Very think strange. To answer, answer your question, Tony, I feel like most things, it's a blend of both. Like, I don't think that there's anybody who is... A, a few people that are probably bigger Bray Wyatt fans than Bray Wyatt himself. I think he recognizes that he thinks that he's doing something very unique and he's trying to put a lot into his characters. But I also feel like a lot of people are getting out of getting that out of him as well. So he's not just doing it because he's a mark for himself. I think he does it because he thinks that it's actually going to be really compelling and interesting to a lot of people. And based on the reaction to this match, it, that was the case because mm-hmm. there are tons of people that love this match, or if you, if you even call it a match. But I think the most the most interesting about it, and it was a perspective that I've seen like on Twitter that I didn't really get out of it the first time I watched it, but now I'm starting to appreciate it a little bit more, is that the whole match is about John Cena. Because the thing that he says at the start of it is that John Cena wrestles himself. That was the initial thing that he said in his original promo, is that your biggest opponent is going to be yourself. Essentially, this was the entire match with John Cena going back through his entire career, his entire influences growing up, all that other stuff. Like with, If you go by the fact that he watched the Saturday night main events. He watched uh, the NWO and he saw Hulk Hogan change from babyface to feel and him. They showed the clips of uh, what happened at ECW one night stand and CM Punk beating him for the WWE championship and him losing, getting squashed by the Undertaker and all that other stuff. And it's just culminating with the idea that Cena got broken down by his own like failures and insecurities about his own legacy. And when you kind of watch it like that, it's kind of like, okay, this is just like a 20-minute art piece. Yeah. <laughs> and if you take it on that perspective, then it's really like, if you take it as like, okay, this was somebody's uh, like, like student art film project, or something. Student, yeah, student film or art project, something like that. Then this is really fucking good. It's, it's amazing at that point. That's why I said before, yeah. like, as if you tell me, what do you think of this match? I would say, this is garbage. Yeah. And if you say, what do you think of this promo? I go, I fucking love it. <laughs> so Yeah. So it depends on what perspective you could take. Like at the end of the day, you should take the perspective that makes you happier with it. Because that's the better way of like trying to approach it. You shouldn't try and go into this trying to find something super negative about it for the sake of feeling negative about it. I just kind of hope that this sort of stuff I'm not saying that we shouldn't do fit segments like this going forward, because these segments are fun in their own little cocoon. I just don't like them invading on the actual wrestling. <laughs> I so think keep, that, keep it to yourself, keep it to its own little corner, and then let me also enjoy the actual wrestling with the wrestlers. You know what? And another thing about the Undertaker match, that closed the show. So it was separate from the wrestling, where here they tried to do that and then do the McIntyre moment. Whereas I think 
even with the McIntyre moment, if you do the Cena match and you close WrestleMania with John Cena is erased, that's not a bad television hook for whatever's next for you. I think that would have made it better as well. I actually think that they should have swapped this in the Edge match. I think this could have I, been I like don't a think break. I would have liked to have gone into the final match after watching two guys beat the shit out of each other for an hour. Well, I also would have made it to where if you swap that, I think that there's a buffer where you maybe you put the raw tag title thing happen or something instead, like the right before the main event. But like, uh, I don't think that this could have ended the show because it was just too strange. I, I, I feel like I think what Rob says is pretty true in the sense that you shouldn't have you should have either closed with this match or done it a lot earlier but i feel like it's taken it took away because this was the only thing that people were talking about at the end of wrestlemania night two yeah like this was i don't say it's the only thing but it was the big thing that people were talking mm-hmm. about and it completely undercut mcintyre win the title which we'll obviously talk about next but nobody was talking about that says like oh yeah congratulations drew now what the fuck was happening in that fu- 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 yeah. house match that was essentially what was uh it undercut what, what it the for summary sure. was yeah and it also seen- was a jarring transition because it was just like we got matched, normal match, normal match, normal match. What the hell's happening with the 24-7 title? Whatever. Normal match, normal match. Wacky acid trip kind of thing, like you're saying. And then it's like, and we're back to the performance center. Wait, huh? Okay, we're just going to do a match now. Okay. Have you seen that John Cena's Instagram has been flooded with uh, about 20 pictures of Bray Wyatt? <laughs> that's cool just like Bray Wyatt through the years Husky Harris, everything so this definitely isn't over but I hope that they explore the idea that yeah, Cena has had desires in the past to turn heel and he's suppressed that to play this role and I do not want to leave this segment without saying again Johnny Largemeat was the funniest thing <laughs> I've ever heard. Oh, that was pretty funny, yeah. I don't think that this is a few that they're continuing. I think this is it. Yeah, I, I think this will be a one and done as well. But it, I think they've got to do something in terms of like when Cena comes back. He might not continue the feud with Bray Wyatt, but he needs to have been affected by it. There needs to be something different about Cena, I think, when he comes back. He's going to have a different t-shirt. It's like the, I mean, they've tried to tell these stories beforehand, like the thing changes people, like Sephiroth is now turned to the dark side, became the Messiah. They did that thing for a couple of weeks after Brian lost the thing where he would be up Heath Slater very aggressively and stuff like that, but then they decided to just drop that and make him a tag team with Drew Gulak instead. Uh, Finn Balor turned heel. Everybody does get a little more aggressive when they face the Fiend. Yeah, so if they want to continue that, kind of narrative then they should at least when see because because you can't just ignore this whole thing happened just said oh it's just a, a fever dream or something like that it was just like oh we just wanted to put something i mean they can do that because they they have they've proven that they can they can do this sort of thing in the past but i would like to at least hope that they come back and at least something's different about cena like cena either recalls it or is a different has a slightly different personality Maybe he does turn heel off the back of all of this. I mean, it wouldn't hurt at this point. I fully expect the next time we see John Cena for it to be, I don't know, a couple months from now, a year from now, whatever it is, and they go, 
And let's tell you, everybody, tune in to SmackDown. John Cena is going to return. And he comes out and he goes, ah, it's good to be back. And no, no it like, could very much be the case. You know. Yeah. Boo. Yeah. But then we got our main event. You know, jarring transition goes over to the WWE championship match. Brock Lesnar goes in as champion against Drew McIntyre. And I wanted to ahead of time and I forgot about it, but I wanted to put some kind of a thing out there and say how many F5s, how many German suplexes, whatever, because I didn't expect this to be anything really all that much more than German suplexes, claymores, and F5s. And, you know, it follows the same kind of thing that they do with Goldberg and stuff. Their idea of main events now when it comes to these guys are do many of your finishers and nothing else. And that's what happened. Uh, F5 kicks out, F5 kicks out, F5 kicks out. Claymore, 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 the end. So I I don't have a lot to say about this. The right guy won. Yep. You know, I thought he made up very much for the lack of crowd by focusing in his antics post-match, uh, saying, you know, I'm going to reach my hand towards the TV, like doing the whole, you know, touch the TV, feel this moment with me. You got me here. Thank you. And I am 100% over the Brock Lesnar slash Goldberg. We're just going to do nothing but our finishers. That was okay when you did it with the two of them together. That's even okay when you do, okay, it's Reigns and Lesnar. Let's just go Superman punch, spear, F5s. Fine. I don't want to see this every time that those guys get in the ring. Like there's, they've completely said there is no more nuance. They're just going to do their finishers all the time. And that's it. I'm over it. Yeah, I was underwhelmed really with the match. And it's, it's not that I was expecting that it was going to be super long. I was expecting, I was hoping for it to be like, because I think it ended up going about six minutes, but most of that time was just uh, McIntyre laying on the mat, selling after taking an F5. So I don't really class that as being like super long, but I was expecting like maybe seven to ten minutes of actual action, like brawling on the maybe brawling on the floor for a little bit, doing a few more German suplexes, building up a bit more to like an F five or a Claymore kick, something of that effect. I was hoping it would be a bit more along the lines of when Brock Lesnar had that match with Rey Mysterio, which was great, or matches with Finn Balor, which were great and stuff like that, and. Being with a guy against McIntyre who even like uh, overshadows Lesnar a little bit in terms of his size, I thought, okay, they're just going to have a really physical brawl for a bit and going to head to like a, a finish where, yeah, probably McIntyre kicks out of a couple of F5s and then nails a load of Claymore kicks and gets the win, which is what they did. But then that was the only thing they did. They didn't do anything else that I was hoping they would do. And I thought, well, They'd already done this type of match for the Goldberg Strowman one. Surely they're going to go a little bit more on this one. And yet they didn't. And yeah, I can agree that even though I feel like these types of matches have their place and they add a bit of variety every now and again, uh, it was overkill, especially having two matches pretty much exactly the same on two separate nights, both for the world championships. Especially when you know that like Lesnar has had pretty much every match like this so far and Goldberg has had pretty much every match like this so far. I think, I think that's harsh with the Lesnar one. 
I mean, not, not going back like as far as, you know, like the John Cena match or something like that. But like, no, the, the Mysterio match wasn't like this. Yeah, true. I'll give you that one. Yeah. But like, and, the, and the Balor match wasn't like this. And like the star- match with Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles weren't like this. With smaller guys, he does do a little bit more, it seems. But I would have thought McIntyre is a good enough worker that he could do more than just okay, we'll just do Claymores and F5s. And I feel like maybe that was their way of saying, well, we think McIntyre can be the guy and we're going to give him that Goldberg-Roman-style match of being, well, you're just going to go straight for the kill because you don't need to be nuanced. And I would have really appreciated something more. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of just what my hope was for this. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like it was just, with the, with the Goldberg Strowman one, that match was short out of necessity because Goldberg can't do mm-hmm. any more than that. This was an example of uh, Heyman's approach to main event booking. Yeah, this was it's specifically Brock Lesnar. Specifically with Brock Lesnar, but this was this was straight out of ECW nineteen ninety seven, where you had Mike Awesome just powerbomb a bunch of guys like over and over and over again because it was fairly limited in the ring, or you had Sandman hit people with Kane. And it's not in the fact that these two are limited. These two could have a really good match, but it just feels like, okay, people have seen a big show. They just want to see a load of finishes and let's wrap this all up in a nice explosive finish. But I, I kind of just wanted more of a match, really, than just move, 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 move. Done. Yeah. And I agree. For the- for the people that do try to make the argument and say, yeah, but don't you want to just see the big moves and don't you whatever sometimes, but the less it's happened, the better it is. You know, if we go six Brock Lesnar matches in the future where we don't get that, and then we get another one like this, then I'll probably like it more. And there are movies, for instance, that, um, you know, if you talk about like favorite matches of all time, like one of my favorite matches of all time, Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker at WrestleMania 25, that match is not just super kicks and choke slams. And Bret Hart versus uh, Stone Cold, WrestleMania 13, that is not just he picks him up, he puts him in the sharpshooter, he gets out of it, he hits a stunner, he kicks out, he gets him in a sharpshooter, he doesn't submit. It's not the same type of thing and stuff. And just the same as movies go, I don't want to watch a movie that's two and a half hours of just the explosions. I'd rather have some plot and I'd rather, you know, I think that I can get better action movies that don't have action beats every 10 minutes kind of thing, because maybe you don't need it. And I wanted Lesnar and McIntyre to have a match, not to have a trade off of a couple finishers. So I'm disappointed in that, but I'm at least happy that they went with the right decision. I think. If they would have gone with Lesnar retains because we want to have McIntyre's big moment in front of people, especially if we don't think that we can get people until at least September, I think that would have been a mistake. But we'll see how that works out. Wrestling is 2020. Hindsight is 2020. At the end of the year, we might look back on any of this stuff from these two nights of WrestleMania and say that stuff was heading in the right direction and we didn't know it or that man, they screwed that up or well, we didn't think that this gem would, would happen, but it did, you know, like there's, there's positives and negatives that could come out of all this stuff. But at least for these two nights, overall, we got two nights worth of stuff. How do you feel? WrestleMania 36 went down. 
I can say genuinely, I can name four WrestleManias that were worse. So this was not the worst mania, and considering the circumstances, I think that's a pretty good compliment. I can go further than that. I can name three WrestleManias in the last five years that were probably worse than this one. And I could probably name a good, solid uh, 10 plus that I think rank below this one in terms of enjoyment factor for me at the very least. I I was I immediately like believed that this was going to be just terrible and considering the circumstances I almost wouldn't blame them if it had been just totally terrible the fact that I managed to enjoy quite a lot of what we actually saw means that I think this was like taking the circumstances into account it was a absolutely rousing success if you just judge it based on WrestleMania to WrestleMania I thought it was it wasn't great, but it was good. I agree. If we get some kind of huge break of luck where May tenth they're talking about potentially doing money in the bank the way that they're expecting, if that ends up being that they can have that in the front of an arena, I'm a hundred percent sure I'm gonna look back on this and go, I wish they would have postponed it. Because I don't feel like there's a whole lot of really positive takeaways from me for these two nights of WrestleMania. And I feel like the positives that I did take away are very much filtered through, well, could have been worse. Or given the circumstances, blah, blah, blah. And I honestly don't think I'm ever going to rewatch this WrestleMania. I, It's a lot of depression to watch it. Like, it's just a depressing scenario. I can't see myself being like, man, I really want to revisit such and such. I kind of feel like the only match that I would really kind of potentially want to revisit is the Boneyard match. And everything else, I mean, because the Firefly Funhouse thing, maybe I would rewatch it just for the promo itself because it's a promo, it's not a match. But like, I'm not going to want to rewatch uh, Ripley versus Flair. That's just annoying. I think we're going to look back on that and go, oh, that halted Ripley's uh, career. I'm not going to look back on this and go, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, man, they took a real big step forward there by making history of the second time women's champions. And I don't think I'm going to rewatch Braun Strowman versus Goldberg because even though I'm glad that Strowman won, doesn't matter. And I'm I'm more negative than positive, but I am very positive when it comes to the idea that they tried and it's better than nothing and super happy that Edge is back. And yeah, yeah, whatever. That's kind of the way I look at it. Oh, that's WrestleMania. Let's move on. My takeaways, I thought they did a really good job with what they were given. I think there's at least one match from each night that I will watch again, that being the Boneyard. And I'll probably take a look at Edge Norton to see in a few years, you know, once the novelty of Edge being backwards off, I want to see how I feel then. Um... McIntyre got his moment. That's awesome. First ever British champion. You can't discount that. At the end of the day, 
they delivered with their mantra of smiles on faces. And I know I've made that joke a lot, but I did smile quite a few times. So it worked for me. I'm definitely nervous about the future. Definitely nervous, not just about the, we don't know what's going to happen and all that stuff, but like I'm curious where they go with Flair, with Bliss and Cross, with whether or not Drew McIntyre's got what it takes to be champion and have a successful reign, whether or not we get some kind of follow-up with Bray Wyatt. What's the follow-up to Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins? Like, I mean, hindsight is going to be big with this. So by the end of the year, depending on the circumstances and all that, I think that we're going to have to do a wrestling is 2020 about mania. And that it's not going to be the last time we talk about mania uh, or the next time we talk about mania either. Uh, we're going to be referencing this for weeks and weeks and weeks for different podcasts and stuff, but we might take a break from some things too, that are on like the fresh new content side of things, depending on how much they actually are able to do. And we might get a lot of like recap type stuff. We might get some oddball different types of segments. We might do some new things. I don't really know. And I want to know what you guys want. So toss out all your comments below. What did you think about WrestleMania? What are you excited for going out of WrestleMania? What are you worried about? What did you dislike? What stuff are you on the fence about? What did you think about the podcast that we just did? What do you think about the possibilities of uh, all the different things that we've mentioned over the past couple of weeks about what we could do in the future? Just, you know, drop a comment below. Even if you want a recipe for the Rice Krispie thing that I had. <laughs> you know, but I uh, I did most of my plugs. The only thing I didn't do yet, merchandise shops, Public and Redbubble, you should know them by now. Just check them. You're probably not going to buy anything if you didn't already know that. But just in case, go check it out. These guys have other plugs. I'm gonna test pass the baton, not test the baton. I'm gonna pass that over, Callum. Well, follow me on Twitter at Wigmeister14. If you haven't already, check out the power rankings. Obviously, that that doesn't, hasn't taken WrestleMania into account, but it's the final one of the 2019-2020 season, and we'll see how the 2020-2021 season unfolds. If it does, as a matter of fact, but at least you'll get. Next week's ones where we do take the WrestleMania results and everything else that happens post WrestleMania into account. So make sure you read those as well as all the other articles on smartcutmoment.com. And to round out this weekend of wrestling, I would like to say you can check out WrestleZone.com. You can check out Fightful.com. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at DudeFelice. And we did it. We got through WrestleMania. It's an, another year in the books, and I'm very curious to see what's next. Well, at the very least, what we know is coming up next is we are going to talk about the Smart Madness tournament. So vote on that if you haven't already. We are down to either John Cena or Roman Reigns, who is the best WWE superstar of the past decade. That will be our main event for this next week as well as anything else that we end up doing. Hot tags may actually come later this week and not tomorrow night. Kind of depends. But if you stay tuned, you follow Facebook and Twitter at Smartout Moment, you subscribe to the YouTube channel, you ring that little notification bell, that will tell you whenever we've got new videos posted, whenever we go live, if we go live on things, and we are planning on potentially doing some more live things going forward, including the quarterly mailbag. It's coming up somewhere soon. 
and it might be live. So, yeah, fun stuff. Thank you for listening to this, everybody. Thank you for all your support. Hopefully, you had a fun WrestleMania weekend. Stay safe. Turn the page. Wash your hands. All that good stuff. And we will see you next time. But for now, this has been another Smart Out moment, and we're being counted out. Thank <laughs> you.